This is Rad Talk with Tracy, the podcast. This is a place where you'll discover what's possible when people impacted by reactive attachment disorder inspire change and build community through sharing their stories and expertise. I'm Tracy Poffenroth Prado, and I'm your host. I'm really glad you're here. And before we get started, if you like the podcast, please click like, share, and write a review. It helps so much. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Hello, listeners. We're back with another episode of Rad Talk with Tracy. I'm here today with a rad mom who is here to share her story. Her name is Kelly Clady. So let's welcome her to the podcast. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Tracy. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. I've had a a rather busy day. Took my son to his first riding lesson in a while. He's been with horses before. And then maybe now I know that I probably shouldn't schedule my Zoom therapy right before a podcast. So I just finished doing that actually. So it's been kind of a a busy, hectic morning, but it's been it's been good. And yeah, I'm very happy to be here with you today. I'm so happy you're here. That to me just sounds like a typical, I know life is busy for most people, but that doesn't phase me when I hear your morning. I think, oh, that's just rad life, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally. <laughs> Trying to fit in therapy and work and life. And yeah. So here's a question for you. Tell me what you would like people to know before we talk about your story, whether it's about rad or your story, what would you like people to know as a, as a rad mom and parent? Well, the things I would have loved to have known like about 10 years before I found out number one, and probably a lot of people say this, but despite feeling very alone, if anybody is out there that hasn't actually heard testimonials from other parents or just other caretakers or, you know, children themselves that grow up. And that I, that was so amazing for me to actually listen to the interview you had with two young adults that kind of navigated through their own reactive attachment. But in any case, I'd like people to listeners to know that they're not alone. Like I think my whole universe just expanded exponentially when I first heard the word the term rad. And then I started doing a lot of research. But then more importantly, when I got connected with some forums on Facebook for parents of kids with rad that are very closed only to people that qualify. And yeah. And just to hear so many other stories like mine just makes you feel like you're not totally crazy and that you didn't just create the, the whole thing. Because even people that care about you often, your interactions with people that are well-meaning, you come away and you just feel worse and you feel more lonely and more alienated and less able to deal with whatever you have to deal with. So that's the first thing is that you're not alone. There's actually a lot of people with shared experiences, which never means it's exactly like it's not to, to say that because the, the flip side of that is it doesn't feel that great for somebody to say, oh, well, I know exactly what you mean because blah, 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 because we're right. all unique. Yeah. So it doesn't take away the uniqueness of every person's experience. And then another thing that I learned actually from a great book that I was referred to by the first family therapist, who was the one that gave me this, this whole term of rad that really opened up a new way of understanding our adopted son was it's called uh, Coming to Grips with Attachment by Dr. Catherine Leslie. And it's such a great resource. And I think she's got 
She's written at least a few books on the subject. But she said, you know, don't feel angry at yourself or that there's something wrong with you if you don't feel every single day like you really love this kid. Like it may not feel that way because when you don't get the reciprocal, because even with other kids, when they, you know, and not that biological kids or other kids without RAD don't have their issues for sure. But when you, from the get go, don't really get the return on your investment, it's very hard to feel always like a loving, caring, unconditionally type of person. And yet that is completely what we have the expectation of being. And that's what society has an expectation. And she's really clear. She's like, you have to have mutual respect, you know, treat the child with respect, but borders, clear borders and boundaries, firm borders and boundaries. And you don't actually have to fake it if you don't really feel love to the, to the, in the same version that you want to, or that you thought you would, because it really is just a little bit different than what most of us signed up, you know, thought we were signing up for. It really is. And just having that permission. And I think the more people we can hear that from, because that's exactly where we go, right? Is that, that guilt and feeling like a bad parent because those feelings aren't there or may not be there, or maybe they're there sometimes, but it's not the typical parenting scenario, like you said, with, you know, how society perceives it or even how we perceive it going in. There's so much guilt around that. And something else you said when you were talking about even parents or family members or friends with good intentions supporting us, often many of us don't have that even. But when we do, another piece to that is, did you find it, it's so exhausting to try and explain it. It's whenever I talk with a parent, we can't put our stories into a nutshell version, I don't think. And, uh, And there's so many pieces that's so deep that to explain those pieces, I found that I didn't even have the words for it sometimes, let alone the energy. So it's easy to just suck it up and let it go and not do that. Right. Yeah. And if you hear one more time, at least in my situation, if I heard from like one more parent of like a teenage son, oh, all boys have messy rooms, Yes, all boys, you know, (laughs) or teenagers in general, when they're Mm -hmm. coming into their bodies, have an interest in other kids' bodies and whatever. Yeah. They have no idea. I've often said, yes, my son may do things that are very much in sync with other kids his age and are par for the course for where he's at with his development, Um, you know, socialization and maturation and all that, but he does them for completely different reasons. He does Mm -hmm. them for survival. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't do them to act out. He doesn't do them to like say F you parents. He, He literally thinks that it's his very survival because if he's not in control, he could be dead. Right. So it's the dynamic that got going in our house around, you know, the power struggles literally got to be like death defying at one point. And I had to take a step back and realize it's actually, I mean, the other big message I think in this is that none of it is personal. It Mm-mm. feels so incredibly personal. Yes, it does. And yet it's not. And and same with the energy I give out. It's actually not even personal to my son because when and when anyone feels threatened, you know, you don't bring your best self forward. No. And so that idea that it's it's not personal, it could have been another family that he went to and very likely, you know, could have had many of the same issues. 
which doesn't put one off the get one off the hook for still needing to do their their best and to right. try to rally as much of their wherewithal and resources that they can. But on a day-to-day basis, like I just so one image I can just portray. So when COVID happened and the shutdown, so our son literally the month before in February, February 2nd, Groundhog Day of 2020, mm-hmm. um, had to go back into care of the state because of very unsafe things that were going on in our house from breaking locks, getting into things, breaking and entering, stealing this, that, and just food hoarding and things like uncooked spaghetti and uncooked rice and his pillowcases and just very confusing, weird stuff along mm-hmm. with actually dangerous stuff. Okay. So when the COVID shutdown happened five weeks after our son had to, had to go back into custody of Department of Children and Families here in the state of Massachusetts, I was in a rage. I was confused. I was scared. I was thrilled like to mm-hmm. have some space from him. I had mm-hmm. all these emotions. Yeah. So I turned it actually into a book and I did a lot of research. I, I wrote, I was like staying up for about four months of that initial shutdown because I did have time off from work also at that same time, staying up to like one to three in the morning, just like, I know what people talk about now when they say that it just get like this divine inspiration. Like mm-hmm. I could never stay up till three in the morning now, but I was doing <laughs> it regularly because I just felt so um, inspired. Yeah. And, you know, the idea of you can take, you know, as they say, lemons and turn it into lemonade, but it felt I was feeling very threatened. But through this process of research and all this, I realized it's actually just kind of the history playing out from his very early history. Yeah. And when you can sort of put yourself in the child's place, and I started to learn so much more about what's actually going on in mm-hmm. his brain and what happens when they have those early traumas, because he grew up in a really, you know, like so many rad kids, a really horrific first four years just gave me some empathy and some ability to step back and go, yeah, this isn't actually yeah. personal. And to have that compassion. And I think there's two, there's a lot of components I think there's the person we were before we became a rad parent. There's the person we are when you're in the thick of it, in the chaos and the stress and just all of it. And then there's that moment, like what you're describing is when you're able to to step away from it, you know, your child went back into care and then you have that moment to be able to reflect and be compassionate about that. I know in my case, when I was in the thick of it, I had that awareness and compassion. It was in there and I knew it, but I couldn't draw on it because there was just too much going on, too much stress. You couldn't really parent therapeutically, although you tried because you're not only dealing with your child's trauma and behaviors, but you're also dealing with yours and your feelings. And none of us go into this with a guidebook or preparation, at least not in this point in time. And I hope that changes, but right now we don't. So it's nice to be, because sometimes I'll talk to people and I'll think, gosh, I don't know if you can hear this right now, because when you're that person in the chaos, it's almost impossible to see and have that compassion and understand the trauma. I mean, I know we all have that. I don't know if I'm doing a good job describing it, but we can't access it. It's there, no. but we're dealing with so much else. Definitely and not so, when you're in the fight or flight and the cortisol right? flooding you and you're just, you know, just like your child literally mm-hmm. thinking, I, maybe you've had the same experience, but I just so clearly remember whenever I'd be getting ready to leave work and I would just try to find every excuse to, not like, to go home, take, 
take the long route home. Like, honey, do we need more Mm -hmm. groceries? I'm happy to go get groceries. Oh, you know, I'm going to stay and maybe go for a swim because I work at a place where I get access to a pool and a gym and just like anything. And I would just like driving up the driveway, I would have to Uh. like breathe, relax myself, psych myself up. And then you knew what was going to happen from the moment you opened the front door, like how the rest of the evening was going to be. Yeah. Dread. Dread. And the same thing when I would go down to my, my husband helped so much in so many ways, and he was equally as involved through all this. However, I was the one that generally did like the clearing out of his, his room. And I describe in my book. So again, to most parents of teenagers, the idea is, yeah, dirty socks, dirty underwear, you know, wadded up notebook paper from school or whatever. But the stuff that I used to find in my my son's room, it would be like a pile of burnt matches over here and something that was melted over there. And then like unwashed clothes that are not just like a a few days or a week old, but maybe like months off in some little corner and then pulling down moldy food for, you know, in the same area I'd found it before. And it just keeps reappearing and reappearing and reappearing and knife marks on his bedding Mm -hmm. and just I would literally like almost felt like I needed to do something to alter my state of mind before going into his room because it was such a source of complete fear and stress. And yeah. that is not what the average mom of no. a teenage boy And that's not what the average kid does, right? That's not yeah. just a teenage boy thing or girl thing or... So you're describing, you know, picking up after your child, but like you said, you just can't even get into all of that. By the time you get into the fourth or fifth (laughs) item that you just see their eyes just like widen and then they quickly change the subject. So you just can't even go there. And that's just one piece of it, right? Like it's not just the room, right? That's just, oh girl, we haven't even gotten started kind of thing, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. But isn't it good to be in a place and not all of us get there or have that opportunity and your son is in care and hopefully that's the place that he needs to be right now. But for you to be in that place where you can sit with it, you did feel inspiration to stay up. I mean, you wouldn't have found that even parenting or in the thick of it, but just to be in that place where (laughs) who has the time, right. Or the energy or the brain power, but to be able to breathe and just step away and and see it for what it is. How how is that? Is there any I hope you don't, but do you look and think, "Oh, I did everything I could" or gosh, I wish I would have known or I could have done this better? What comes with that stepping away and having you back to let all of that sink in now and and have a place in your heart and mind with that compassion and understanding of your child's trauma? Yeah, I think several things when you ask that come across. First is we're all doing the best we can at the time. And hindsight is always 2020. If I'd read all these books, if I'd gotten good advice, because all we knew about our son, we were because he was much younger than his siblings, we were told that he would be the likeliest one that had the least impact from the sexual trauma and the the extreme neglect and abuse that had gone on. But clearly that did not turn out to be the case. So if I'd known even a fraction of what I know now, like for example, we actually moved out of the country to be away from his family right after we adopted him. And I had such this expectation though, oh, the three of us, because it's just my husband, my son, and myself. It's like okay. the three of us against the world. 
I just, I think that's another big piece of this for probably everyone that's involved with a kid with reactive attachment is mourning the loss of the dream of the family you thought you were going to have. That's it. hundred percent. Sailing off or rather flying off into the distance to China where my husband and I lived before. And we we're going to show him this great life and had no expectation that we actually, you know, it's the same child. He's just in a different location, but that does not take everything away. And we were horribly unprepared. And the hardest part of that was I ended up homeschooling him. We couldn't get him into a local school. And while my heart goes out for any parent, you know, during the COVID that was staying at home with their kids, but Mm -hmm. I don't know how parents, I mean, that is the silver lining where I felt like the universe took care of us to take our son away literally before the whole shutdown, because I could not have gone through another month, let alone another year of homeschooling. And I felt like almost every day during that year we were with him in China, like I'd rather have bamboo toothpicks shoved under my fingernails than show up for another lesson with him because it would take us like six hours to do what should take one hour. And it was just so miserable for both of us. And so if I had known, I could have had the wherewithal to know, number one, again, it's not personal against me. Number two, you can't just you can't just treat it as a behavioral issue. It's not, not just all. a behavioral issue. Mm-mm. It's 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 deeply ingrained in their brain and their chemistry. Yeah. And at first sign that things were so brutally challenging, we could have just taken that as a as a fun year off and you know. you know done some field trips and done some learning and made him repeat the grade when he got home, but part of me was like, "Oh my god, the warning bells were going going off and like, I cannot spend a single additional year with him. So we need to get him through this. And it, I nearly felt like the closest I ever, ever felt in my whole life to wanting to kill myself from just the simple thing of, you know, schooling your kid online. And it was a great program and all. So I think to have a lot of self-forgiveness to realize that there is not a lot of great information out there. You have to seek yeah. counsel and advice of people that directly know about reactive attachment. It's not enough, I don't think, even to know about other kinds of trauma. They specifically have to know this because it's such a well-kept well-kept secret. It is. So going back, you said something pretty big there, and you're not alone in this, Kelly. I've heard this from several other moms about being in that point, about being in such a state of finding no other way but thinking about killing yourself or having that complete breakdown. Are you able to open up about that. It's not something that is talked about. Yeah. Well, I've had similar feelings even much more recently because as the, the biggest fallout from this whole thing with our son, and again, I do not blame him. I think he's a, a you know amazing. I think the fact yeah. that he functions as well as he does is, is a complete miracle and a sign that, that God exists because he should be in a much worse condition actually than he is. I do credit us with some of that, you know, Good. but he's also, he's also resilient on his own. I have to say, I mean, yeah. but what I would, what I would say is, is that yes, you're, you're not alone. And that, so what's happened, the, as I was saying, the major fallout is my husband and I are now divorcing. And I would say the, the stress with our son is a major player in that. I wouldn't say it's the only contributor. And I know that that's not unusual, but it's, it's not. very sad. We never got into this whole idea of bringing a child into our life, thinking it would be the demise of our marriage. But that is the unfortunate fact. And so I've had some pretty 
dark moments here and there. I mean, never very lasting, not going on for months on end or anything, but I can certainly understand how that crosses some people's mind. And as if anyone knows the term nurturing enemy, mm-hmm. you know, whichever the primary care yeah. person is, it's more often mothers, but it could be other caretakers, whoever that person is, they just have to know, they have to believe in themselves because even other relatives, other partners, other spouses that live under the same roof may have a very different experience and the child presents in a very different way because of that whole idea with triangulation. And that was absolutely happening. I mean, it's still happening to this day. Mm-hmm. Our son kind of aligns with whichever parent is the in parent at that time. Right. And it's very, very hurtful and challenging and really hard to trust your own judgment to know that your reality is your reality and you don't have to justify it to anybody. And what brought you to that place? I mean, I know it's not anything specific, but what brought you to that place of feeling like you couldn't go on? And I ask that because sharing your feelings and experiences, personal experience, there's a lot of parents out there feeling the same thing. And there's already so much loneliness and isolation and judgment on ourselves and from others as a rad parent it's a very lonely place to be you feel unequipped because we are unequipped in a sense we're unequipped with the rad piece but as parents i think we're kick ass above and beyond so for people listening who might be at that place or for family members who have a family member raising a kid with rad in that place of such desperation and not and feeling like you can't go on what what were you experiencing what what brought you there uh what brought me there was just literally feeling like until our son was out of high school i was going to be trapped in a prison uh where i was terrified on you know not every single day mm-hmm. but quite often of literally worrying about my personal safety safety of our property you know, will he burn the house down? <laughs> Things like this. And those are not normal concerns that most parents have about their children. I always say parents are concerned for their children, concerned that the child might harm themselves, might get drunk driving, mm-hmm. might be involved in, you know, date rape or something, you know, really awful or, or commit some other kind of silly, stupid teenage act, but most people or most parents are not afraid of their children. <laughs> I was just going to say, most parents aren't fearing for their lives because right. of their children. Yeah. Right. And yet our son, when things are, you know, when he has this good structure, this is what I've discovered when I've always said he needs a very tight, tight container. And when he's got that, when he has that, mm-hmm. he's a completely changed child and we have a wonderful relationship. So that's, I think, That's an important thing for people to know that there can be a tipping point if you can, if you at some point find that you literally can't be the sole guardian for this child anymore. I don't know from state to state, but in our case, you know, we were able to access resources that have now somewhat returned my son to me to a certain degree. And what brought this on, I think the, the basic issue that RAD always stems around both for the children diagnosed with it and with the parents and the families that support them is safety. When you're living in an environment of fear and lack of trust and lack of safety, nothing works. So no matter how much you give, I mean, this was our thing, you know, how much you give and our son went off to amazing camps with his grandparents and had all of these resources piled onto him, but that doesn't take away 
that doesn't change anything. The only thing that changes something is getting yourself safe. Yeah. So the message I would like to encourage parents to think of is for a moment, stop thinking about what's best for the child and start thinking what's best for you. Because it was explained to me, if you can't feel safe, you can't be keeping the child safe. Therefore, your safety is of the utmost importance. Yeah. And that was a huge message. It's a huge message. And it's hard for parents to hear and really take in. And I think that's the hardest message. And I'm glad we're talking about that because in my experience, that is the hardest thing for a rad parent to do. And we were feeling that way for quite some time, but even yeah. through even through the adjustment counselors, we eventually got some really good, very on the ball therapists that knew what they were talking about. But before that, you don't even get a good advice and help no. from the people that are supposed to help you the most. So right. you really do feel like you're in it on your own. Mm-hmm. You just have to find something that gives you joy. And I would say yeah. whether that's something so small, you got to find ways to take care of yourself in little tiny moments mm-hmm. or or go on a vacation, just you and your partner, like get away from the child. Yeah. They need a break. You need a break. And yeah. to let go of any guilt around that, because right. you're feeling safe is the only way the family can be safe. Yeah. And we live in a very child-centric culture where most kids with RAD, from my experience and what I've read and what I know with our son, are very intelligent and, and very capable. And they can scheme and kind of you know figure out how to do self-protection but as parents, we're not so good at self-protection or, or taking care of our own needs. And I yeah. think women fall into this category, men as well. But women complain about this a lot that I work with in my own business or my own practice. And it's of the utmost importance when yeah. you're dealing with a child with RAD. So whatever you need to do, whether that's having a night out a week with your girlfriends or guy mm-hmm. friends, having one or two nights a week where you have dinner only with your partner and you find uh, a caretaker for the child. And that can be really difficult because not just any babysitter is going to do, but whatever you need to do to get a little space, a little time away and to feel safe has to be the top priority. It has to be the top priority and it's the hardest. And so again, we talk a lot about things, but I'm glad we're talking about this because we all say it, we all know it, but actually doing it is the hardest piece, but it's so necessary. And like what you were saying about we're very, you know, it's very child focused, not only in the system, the foster adoptive, no, our, the, culture. our culture, exactly. So the therapy, it's focused on making sure the children okay, are okay, not necessarily the family unit or the parents, exactly. but also in what we're talking about is we're as parents, we come in with that mindset as well. And we have to do everything for the child. Mm -hmm. Where are we in that? We're not in that equation. And that's what we have to flip around because again, it's another form of guilt. And we feel that we're not, if we're giving to ourselves, we're taking away from these children. They have come from these horrible situations, severe trauma and neglect. And so we just get into that cycle of taking care of everybody but ourselves. And it's so hard to step out of that. And I think what's most important, you know, we talked about how you were feeling and being kind of at the end of your, well, being at the end of your rope and to the point of even feeling like taking your own life would be 
a better situation or putting bamboo, you know, under your fingernails. That's so common <laughs> to hear <laughs> that type of desperation. Like I would rather pick that than this says so much, but I think we also need to be talking about and seeing more people do it is flipping that scenario and that parents are taking time for themselves. It's not personal. Uh, you have to do for you or you can't take care of anybody else. I always say it's the captain can't go down with the ship because then there's right. nothing, right? There's absolutely nothing. And I, it's so hard, but until we change our mindset on that and we see other people doing it more and more, I think that will help other people start standing up for themselves and, and do that because, and here's the other thing that I personally have, I personally noticed and feel is we're focused on the children's trauma and absolutely. But what happens is there's such a parallel with the parents. And this is just my own noticing patterns and trying to analyze what's happening and talking to so many parents and, and my own experience. But you end up with two people traumatized, two people needing safety, two people needing the, or however many kids you have, or three, you know, including the other parent, but everybody, it kind of meshes because now it's everybody with trauma and everybody is starting to need the same things. And how do we do that? Right. How do we take care of ourselves when we need that same safety? And now we've got trauma that we need to go and work on or trauma even coming in that we didn't know we had from our childhood. The, the big T's, the little T's doesn't matter how big or small, but it just starts to stack. And then I think the parents, we start needing our own therapy, just like our kids need therapy. Absolutely. Right. Yes. It's, it's a lot. It's a whole lot. And yeah. a big turning yeah. point for me, it wasn't until the big thing happened in our house where our son actually, and I have heard this a little bit. I don't think it's the most common presentation of reactive attachment, but he put some chemical household chemicals in our food and water. And that was the right. final straw. And it was only after that point that I truly got the understanding from my mom that I'd been wanting for like nine years. It <laughs> had to be what, that severe. What, it had to be that severe. I mean, not that she didn't want to, oh. but again, because she saw the other side of him, there was, yeah. there was so many times like, oh, you're being so hard on him. And I don't understand why you guys argue and get upset with him. He's, he's really a great kid. He just likes to be around other kids and feeling God let, you know, he's in a, a family of, of no other children. But we were told very straightforward that he needed to be placed in a one child family because of his past. And they just didn't think it would be a good, he, he could be safe with other kids. So and that was always what we wanted anyway. And finally, when that big traumatic event happened and the whole thing happened on Groundhog Day, yeah. you know, then I could finally hear it in her voice. She, she started crying and she's like, oh my God, I had no idea. Wow. I'm so sorry. I had no idea what you were going through. And then I had her, you know, I just suggested a couple books and she read everything I recommended. And now I she's bet. the greatest, the greatest support. Mm. But people don't have any idea. They don't. And, and it's not for not wanting to, yeah. right? Like what you're saying with your mom. Yeah. Yeah. Just lack of experience. Yeah. And how do you get it? We, you know, we started out the conversation talking about until you go through this, you could be the best therapist, whatever. There's pieces of it that you're just never going to get unless you live this life. 
And so how can we expect other people to understand it? And then it's so hard to explain. That was the first time I really felt like anybody that I was close to got it. And just to have held that space between Mm. us, because I have to say my mom and I don't get, I mean, she's actually getting, I think more effusive with her emotions now as she's getting older, but it's not been our typical way that we share time together. So that was so special to me. And I think it's made our relationship deeper. She, she is literally the only one in our family. I think now that, that gets the the majority of this experience because she's really gone out of her way to research and, and she loves our son and they talk regularly and they have a very close relationship. So I'm so supportive of that. But before that, when you feel that there's not a soul out there that really gets your anguish, it's the worst feeling in the world and you don't feel like you want to live. Yeah, you don't. And when you can't see any relief in sight in particular, no relief and no solution. Yeah. Right. When you're looking at a kid who's only eight and you're thinking, oh my God, 10 years till he's 18. How am I going to make it for another 10 years? I can't, I can't let alone another, another day. 10 years. Yeah. yeah. Right. You can't even see the next day and you're thinking, yeah. And there's no solution, no way out. You were saying trapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're trapped by their past and they are too. You think, yeah. you think about what it must be like to be in these kids' heads. I just, I have so much incredible uh, respect. I do too. And at the same time, you know, they need what they need. And sometimes what they need and what you need are not the same things. And that's another message is take care of your needs first. Yeah. And then the the child's needs can be sorted out. But until you're safe, nothing, nothing else can happen. And, you know, we talk a good game, but that's hard. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. It's so hard. I think if parents are aligned and they, they can do volley back and forth. Yeah. That might be the best that it can get because for one parent to be dealing with all that, I literally don't know no. how they could, I, I could not no. have done it without my husband. Absolutely. Positively. No, no, absolutely not. And I, and I know that people do, but you're not, you're in survival mode, just like your, your kid. And for stepping back and seeing and having compassion, I think the same thing about these kids and I don't know if I would have survived that. There's, I can totally understand. I can completely understand and wonder and not surprised, even if you can't heal from some of the stuff these kids have gone through and seen and experienced. But I think in that is also that realization that as a parent, uh, it's impossible to do that yourself to one parent and everything that we do. If we could heal these kids, they'd all be healed by now. Right. They'd all be healed by now you because lo- you can't love it out of them. You can't love it out of them. And like you were describing when you were talking about all the camps and grandma time, I know that listeners, you're probably feeling the same thing and you've done all the same thing. We've researched every therapeutic intervention, every methodology, all the information about it, sent them to every camp therapy unless it's not available or you know about it, right? You have done everything in your power and your area and access to do for these kids. So if that was all they needed, these kids would be healed. And I point that out because again, it goes back to that. We just keep pushing forward past burnout into a level of stress and responsibility and control that we just aren't capable of doing no human is it's capable of par- doing it's that not, 
it's not in the parenting manual. <laughs> no, no. And yeah, and there's a reason it's not in the parenting man manual. Oh my God, nobody impossible. would want to do this. Yeah. And it's just not possible. But I, and I think we need to hear that too, because that's where we go back to that child-centered mind. As a parent, we're trying to do the best. We're supposed to these poor kids. We're supposed to have the answers. I'm the adult. This is my job. Oh. I signed up for this. No. We didn't sign up knowing all of the fine print. Yeah. And nobody knows the fine print. I mean, that's that's the thing. And it took me a long time. I think I'm still processing it to get over the anger. I felt that a lot of the information that should have been made available to us about yeah. our son's situation in those first four years was not released because we found it out when we took him to the emergency room, psychiatric department to be held to find out where he could get placed. And they're like, oh, we see that. I won't go into graphic details, but we see that he witnessed this act. That would have definitely made us think very hard. I mean, we thought very hard anyway, but if yeah. we've been given a whole bit of information and now I know that the laws have changed and they're obligated to share all Full of that. But at the time, yeah. And I can see why they don't, because if you tell people the honest to God truth, like they go running <laughs> and screaming away and yeah. they need placement for these kids. I totally get it but it doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> it's not right. I know. And that's where, you know, that's a whole other conversation about the system and how we redefine and change that. And often things are led by fear. You know, it's easier. We don't know how to deal with it. We don't have the answers. So let's just keep going and ignore it or just keep going the same way we've been going. But that creates so much more rather than stopping and facing it and saying, okay, we may not know what to do. This is big and scary but how can we make this better, right? How can we at least inform parents? Lots of parents will say, I would still adopt if I had had a real understanding, full disclosure, and access to support, or at least people who are going to help me get that support. And that's the piece that's missing, you know? And, and I think from the other end, people think, well, just don't, we, can't, we won't disclose it because then they're, the, these families are going to say no, well, of course, because if you say, here, here you go, here's a broken appliance and yeah. we don't know how to fix it, but here you go. There's no manual. Yeah, to fix that's it. exactly what it's like. Right. Yeah. And then you're like, well, I don't what I don't even know what this appliance <laughs> is, <laughs> you know, and now I don't have a manual and it's broken and broken and you're the person who's supposed to be able to fix it. But here you go. Right. Well, nobody's going to want that situation. And on the upside, I have to say that I have experienced the gift of this to all me is, is for me mm -hmm. is I have been given the opportunity to attempt, I have not succeeded, but attempt unconditional for love from someone who can't give it back exactly the way I'd always wanted, but he does give it. And when I can receive that, and when we both feel safe, like now with mm -hmm. him, being in a group home like he has been most of the I mean the the most the most heart-wrenching part of all of this was he was gone for a year and a half and we had very regular visits he was nearby and then he came back and my husband and I were sharing custody cuz we're going through our separation and I was like this is great this is perfect I can have him half time yeah husband have him half time this is going to work Bobby's mm. better and we were going through this whole new honeymoon um, situation just from last summer Till January, of, so summer of 2021 until January of 2022. And then we found out he was Facebooking with all of his biological family and was trying to frame my husband and I for child abuse. Right when I thought 
that everything was good again. And it broke my heart even more, more wide open. And so I had to close it down. And so now I'm trying steadily to rebuild. But that is just kind of par for the course. You, like you can never fully let your guard down. Nope. But there is a kind of love, at least in, in my situation, there is a kind of love that is still very precious. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have had that if I hadn't gone on this journey. I don't know that that makes everything else worth it. Like mm-hmm. that's not even a question you can really answer. No. But it is the silver lining. And and my son is a real survivor and he's an yeah. amazing person on so many levels. And we fish, we play chess, we hike, we, you know, we just went, he did his horseback riding and then we went for a hike on the Appalachian trail. I mean, we have really good times and we're still both very broken. Like both can coexist. Nothing has been fixed in this part, but this part's doing okay. So I can choose to focus on that right now because he's not under my roof, but um, for people where your child is under your roof and you don't know what kind of supports, all I would say is just keep looking, find either the, like I said, the Facebook support groups. If you have one person in your world that knows you, even if they don't know about rad, but they just can listen and, and not judge that sometimes can be enough. Well, and I think the important thing from that too, is you just like me, I wouldn't have been in the place that I'm at, which is healthy and happy if I didn't make hard choices that went against typical parenting scenarios. Yeah. But we can't, we have to parent differently. So we have to make different choices. And what you're describing is that situation where in order for you to be happy and have some type of positive relationship and for your son to be healthy and safer, for everything to work, family with reactive attachment disorder happening inside of that family, it is not often going to fit the perfect stay at home. Everything's great. You got to this place, just like I got to this place because your child isn't in the home, but yet now is when you can have some type of healthier or some type of relationship with them that would not have existed if they were in our home. And there's so many challenges with that. I mean, every time we we go into discussion about something here, I'm always thinking about the, well, what if you don't have access? So many families don't have access to some type of place outside of the home or the right type of therapy, but it's food for thought to at least start changing your mindset that to have a relationship with our kids doesn't mean they have to be in our home and it has to look like every other typical family out there. Because if that is what happens in your family, fantastic. And is it possible? Yes. But is it common? No. And is it okay that it isn't like that? Yes. Because that's how we roll. That's how it has to be. And I think we hang on to this idyllic image, you know, in so many ways, we have to do everything for this child. We have to make them better, that sole responsibility, but also that feeling that our family, they need to be home. And sometimes we're told that by therapists, which isn't always true, but you got to where you are and I got to where I am by having to do things differently. And it's a much healthier place to be. If your child was home with you, you'd have zero relationship and you might not be here today. Oh my God. Absolutely. I mean, I'll just never forget the one and only time. I mean, the image that sticks out the most in my mind through all of this, it's really been 
think it was when he hit puberty that things really started to go sideways. So when he was about 12 through 15 were the really insane years. And there was one time I went downstairs and our pet rabbit was hanging five feet off the floor by a rope noose. And he Uh. loves animals and he loved that rabbit, but he saw her bite his male rabbit and Mm -hmm. the therapist thought maybe that was something about who knows his relationship with this mom. I don't even know. He said he was protecting the other rabbit, but images like that, you'll never get out of your mind the rest of your life. Never. And, and yet it doesn't mean that you can't keep your wounds, but have a healthy layer that forms on the outside of them. Like I actually don't want to lose this experience, but you never forget. I think you have to do a lot of forgiving and a lot of healing, but that looks different every single day. And if healing yeah. one day is just like, other than when you have to get up and take the kids to school or whatever, but the rest of the day you crawl back into bed, that's okay. That is okay. And you don't have to explain yourself right. to anyone. No, no, you and feel like you do, but you don't. You just do your best. Yeah. And I've been in that bed many, many days, many times, all day. People need to feel comfortable asking for help. I think that's the yeah. hardest thing. I, I'm pretty good at that. I know my husband yeah. had a hard time with it, but we absolutely, you reach a point where you just absolutely realize you cannot yeah. be everything right. and meet all the needs. No, And you have to be vulnerable because until you're vulnerable, and that's the flip side is that you have to be vulnerable and reach out and ask, but to be vulnerable just like our kids, I see so many parallels and not to the same degree necessarily, but again, you can see it's very difficult to step out of our own safety and controlled situations where we have ourselves protected, but you have to, to get help and to get better, right? And you have to do things differently and you're not always going to look good. People are going to no. judge. Right. So many things I've often said, if there was like a hidden camera in our house, like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Because you're just doing it. And, and yeah, that's yeah. one of the reasons um, ultimately, even though I hate to leave our house, but it's just like sort of the, the ghosts of the house need to be put to rest. Yeah. That yeah. is a big thing. When our daughter moved out, I compare it to, I, it probably looked to other people and even me, I was questioning it. Her room, we changed it into an office and Mm -hmm. I did not waste time. I felt guilty initially, but I could not paint those walls and take everything out. Exactly. I could not do it fast enough. And I felt horrible because there's that other parent brain going, this isn't good. You know, this isn't what you're supposed to do. All the TV shows that, you know, show that the daughter comes back four years later and the room looks exactly the same oh, and know. that's love. And that's, don't you hate those stories. Oh, right. <laughs> but I tell you what, no. And, and just like you leaving your house, other families will say that too, is just that memory, that life you, it's like spring cleaning in a way you have to, I mean, that's where I'm talking to you right now from that room, but I had to do that. We like had to do that. Cleaning. Yeah. Karmic cleaning. And we weren't even sure at that time if she was going to come back. And if she did, then where were we going to have her to sleep? So we made sure we had a couch that went into a bed, pulled out into a bed. And I even resented that. Didn't even want that piece of it, but we didn't even know. And then things that you have to think about, I remember somebody saying, well, what if, what if CYFD children, youth and families, what if they come in 
and see that you've changed this room and there's no place for her. And I thought, oh, I didn't even think of that. And why do I have to think about that? And I get why I have to think about that, but I was mad that I had to think about that. And But you're trying to heal and clear and you're still having these things that you have to think about that connect you and 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 not let you let go and move on either. Right. And right. that's just to be in limbo is it. the hardest. It's always better to have yeah. the information because, yeah. you know, and, and, and we still have ongoing discussions about our, our son's care now, and he may be getting transferred to another facility, but we want to keep him nearby. And there's lots of debates and arguments and yeah. everybody's trying to do the right thing, but everybody has a different idea of what the right thing is. So in the moment, it's just like that day to day, like when he and I get together and we fish and we laugh, I'm just like right now, in this moment, life is okay. Yeah. I don't know about tomorrow. Right I don't now. know about an hour from now. I don't know where he's going. I mm-hmm. don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know where my husband's going to go. We're, like the three of us are all splitting up and go in different directions. I believe we will all come back at some point. And I believe our son is going to be in my life the rest of his life. Yeah. And I believe he wants that. I want that. We'll figure it out. But looking at the big picture is so completely overwhelming. And then when I'm angry with him, I just think of that terrified. I mean, from all accounts, what we know now is he may have been getting horrifically, you know, sexually abused as early as like one or two years old. And I just think, oh my God, for what I've been through, he went through way worse. And yeah. again, it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it that I can't have still have my emotions, right. but I do try to connect with how terrifying that was for him and how that changed him in a way. And, you know, that, that old adage of, of hurt people, hurt people. I think scared people scare people. Yeah. And that is a connection now that I have with him that I didn't have before. It didn't come in the package. I wanted it, but it came nonetheless. And that's something I've taken away that actually bonds me to my son is I can understand a little bit more now. Yeah of how far one goes when they're just in fear of their life. Right. And we get a big lesson in that when these kids come to us. I know I did about what trauma really is and what it really looks like and what it really does and how it impacts more lives than just the person who's experienced it, but how it impacts them. And again, I think being able to have that compassion by stepping away from it is a very fortunate thing. You know, you can, you can look at this so differently now and find a new, I guess, story or hopeful outcome in all of this for yourselves. And just one very last point that I'd like to put out, and it's something I really believe in, and I, I help people with that come to me for care as well, but to allow yourself your deepest, darkest, difficult, emotions as well. And never feel like you have to sugarcoat. If you can't talk to somebody, if your spouse doesn't understand, if your best friend, if your parent, if your therapist doesn't understand, if your child's therapist doesn't understand, you can take it to paper and release your rage and, or find other ways to release your feelings. The, mm-hmm. the worst thing is just put a, you know, a fake smile and everything. And, and sometimes we have to do that just to function in the world that the yeah. way that we need to, but when you get private time, let those emotions out because they can eat you up and that can be the worst part of all, but it can be very powerful if you learn to channel your emotions in a way where you don't have to cover them up and you just let them out like brief little moments every day can be a major step towards healing. I'm so glad that we talked about all that and you brought that up. Because we're often taught that you shouldn't just put a 
stiff upper, upper lip and just move on and get on getting on and don't complain and yeah. don't cry and whine like a baby. But in the end, actually <laughs> right. what the science shows yeah. is it's showing so many more and more, so many different chronic, chronic uh, pain, chronic yeah. neck and back pain, digestive issues, things like autoimmune conditions, yep. fibromyalgia, many different symptoms out there are caused by suppressed emotions. So whatever yeah, you can do to really honor and not see them as bad, but just see them as part of you yeah. and to give them a little airtime can be very positive. It's good that you're talking about this and we're talking about it today because I, you know, back to rad life when you're alone, it's really hard to see outside of that and to have that strength to do that. But when you hear other people like you and I today talking about it, I hope that this helps listeners to not feel alone. There's at least two of us out here and many more that support you in that. We get it. We understand. And hopefully that helps give you some strength to, to do that and just know that you're not alone because it's hard when you feel you're the only one and you're doing things so differently. That's a really hard place to be. So thanks for bringing that up. Because if you can take even just five minutes for your own emotions, it might be the best five minutes you spend all day. Yeah. And it's what's going to keep you sane and alive. Yeah. Right? Because otherwise you just end up feeling that you, you end up believing everybody else's uh, opinion and that you must be crazy and you're making things up. But we, I think when you can harness some of that energy inside and let it out, it actually can be powerful for positive change too, because then you're not carrying around the resentment. You're not carrying around the rage then. And only then can you think clearly. Otherwise you're just kind of burying it and it comes out in very inconvenient ways later. Well, and talking about those suppressed emotions, that's chronic extended chronic stress. And that takes it your whole body to another level. And that's where illness and sickness and other things come in. Those autoimmune diseases, everything that you were just mentioning. I know that personally, I'm still, you know, we're maybe two and a half, three years out. And like you, I have the same hopes that someday it comes around and we have a relationship with our daughter in whatever way, but more positive than it was or is now. But one of the things that I'm dealing with, and I think what's so scary about this is the stress that we endure and allow ourselves to put up with, it packs on very slowly. And so years down the road, the damage it does is so significant. And so recovering from that, I mean, I'm two and a half years out and I'm still recovering from that chronic stress that accumulated over all those oh, years. You don't want to get there either. And I'm quite sure that's, that's really the big benefit of writing the 400 and something odd pages that I've written that I do hope to turn into a publishable book, but even I if it doesn't do get published, too. it's just been such good therapy because that was really a releasing yeah. that kind of toxic buildup that have been going on for you know a good five years. Yeah. And whatever your journey, find what's right for you, whether it's the writing, something for you that fits for you. Yeah. And just know that uh, one, I'll just leave with one last quote. I can't remember who said it. I think it's from a movie that in the, everything works out in the end. So if things aren't working out, it's not the end yet. And that's important to remember because the way, I mean, as much as my life is chaotic right now, being in the midst of divorce, I literally don't know where I'm living next month. I know I can't, I've 
was living apart from my husband. Now we're briefly living together again. It's not pretty. And I don't know what's happening with my son, but I do have a sense that there will come a day where things are, are at least clearer because right now I would take the stress I have going right now in a heartbeat compared to what was going on three years ago before our son left our house. That says it all. Um, so that says it all. Just, just know as bad as it is, yeah. if you can just get through another day, eventually something will happen. So true. Well, and I'm glad it's happening for you and still happening, but I'm so grateful, Kelly, that you're here sharing your story and that you've shared really vulnerable pieces of your experience and a lot of great wisdom and insight and that your perspective of how you see this for yourself now and your hope and in what happens in the future. But I I don't think you could have said it any, any better. Yeah. So thank you so much. And people need to be feel clear in themselves that being self, I like to use the term self-focused. Being self-focused is not being selfish. Being focused on yourself is the best thing you can do for your entire family. Even if that doesn't make sense right now, (laughs) just listen over and over (laughs) until it sinks in. (laughs) Well, Kelly, thanks so much. Really appreciate you. and, And our stories are never easy and don't always have a happy ending. You're still in the midst of your next chapter of all of this, but I'm glad you've made it. You've made it to here and I'm glad you're still here. And I hope to be in Taos someday and we can meet in person and I'm seeing if I can work it out to go to the rad conference. Great. Oh, I hope you do. I just got goosebumps. I hope both of those things happen. (laughs) (laughs) Love to have tea or coffee in person. Me too. Thanks, Kelly. All right. Thanks so much. Did you know that Rad Talk with Tracy is not just a podcast? We offer one-of-a-kind support services for parents, including supportive coaching, support groups, and retreats. Visit radtalkwithtracy.com. Check out our services and sign up for the one that's right for you. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll be back to listen to future episodes. If you like the show, please subscribe and help me spread the word by clicking share and like. If you're a parent who needs more support, whether it's for you or your family, please check out my website at radtalkwithtracy.com and visit radadvocates.org.